Hey everybody, Jimmy Smith on today's Unlocking the Cage podcast. Is there a title shot at light heavyweight for Anthony Smith if he wins on Saturday at UFC 277? I explain why he's in good shape and what the obstacles could be. Also, I talk new MMA rules, MMA awards, and UFC 277 with the best MMA journalist nominee, TSN's Aaron Bronstetter. Anthony Smith fighting this Saturday. Magomed Ankalaev in a very, very tough fight. Very, very difficult fight. Not one that we're that worried about Anthony Smith's overall health. Uh, Magomed Ankalaev is very, very tough, but not generally the most destructive light heavyweight that Anthony Smith could face. And I don't think the most destructive light heavyweight he has faced. I think he's faced tougher guys. Anthony Rakic, uh, Glover Teixeira, I think we're a bit tougher, a bit more dangerous. But still going to be a very tough fight. So, um, he spoke with MMA Fighting about a title fight and what he thinks is going to come out of Saturday. This is what Anthony Smith had to say. Well, Dana's already said that this is the number one contender fight, so winner gets a title shot. And I think the fact that they haven't rebooked Glover versus um, Yuri or Jan Blachowicz versus Yuri, I think that's them waiting to see what happens with Uncle Life and I. If we have a stinker and it sucks, I think they'll slide one of those guys in. But I think if we go out and do what Uncle Life and I can do, I, I think that the winner of this fight gets a title shot no matter what. I mean, listen, Uncle Life gets in boring fights, but I don't. And so I've been in one boring fight out of 50. Uh, I don't suspect that there's going to be too many more of those. I certainly hope he's right. But I agree with his logic in this sense. Where if he goes out and they have a terrible fight, they're going to slide in, as he said, either a Glover Teixeira rematch uh, with Yud Prohachka or it's going to be Jan Blahovic Yud Prohachka. I also think that Magomed Ankalaev would have to do some incredible things some really incredible things to get a title shot. He has the wrong passport. He's not particularly engaging uh, personality-wise. Has had some interesting wins. But it was generally against people who could bring an, uh, an entertaining fight out of him. And when you look at it that way, it's not a matter of what, what he's been able to do, but what his opponents have been able to do. And... In this case, while he might have an exciting fight with, with Anthony Smith, he doesn't necessarily have that legacy of really scintillating fights. Decision over Tiago Santos. Decision over Volkan Uzdemir. Decision over Nikita Krylov. Iwan Kutalaba was probably the most exciting fight of his career. And he had two of them. Remember the first one, that stoppage, blah, 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 um, that was a little too early when, when Iwan Kutalaba tried to kind of, I don't know, play possum a little bit and the referee bought it. But uh, Iwan Kutalaba brought exciting fights out of him. But Iwan Kutalaba went right at him. When Nikita Krylov, Volkan Ustamir, Tiago Santos kind of refused to do that, he didn't really turn it up. Didn't have to, didn't need to, so didn't do it. Now, what that says to me, if you're Dana White and you're thinking, hmm, who am I going to give a title shot to against a guy in Yuprochka who generally does bring it but has kind of an awkward style? Right, he's loose. He's very funky. It's a little weird. Um, there's a good chance that that in that fight, Magomed Ankalaev plays it very, very careful and tries not to get hit with the big punch and you know all of these things. And so we don't get the most scintillating fight in the world. Anthony Smith is right. 
when he says, I don't have boring fights. It's not what I do. I don't have boring fights. That's never been my thing. I agree 100%. The guy has exciting fights. He's also a very good speaker. He's also good looking. He's also from the right country. All of these things. When you have Jan Blahovic, Yuri Prohachka, you have um, Glover Teixeira, um, Alexander Rakic, Magomed Ankalaev, Anthony Smith is, is the one guy that can really, in that group, connect with American fans. Definitely. Now, we all know Glover Teixeira, an American citizen. Great. But the idea that he has the right passport to get the opportunity, that's Anthony Smith. So I agree with him. The fact that they haven't booked a rematch, which is, you know, is, is popular and could certainly work. Or Jan Blavich says they're biding their time and waiting. The whole thing of Dana White, Dana White said this is a title contender. Sure. Right. Anthony's not stupid. And he knows that it's going to take an exciting fight to, to get that opportunity. If he, if, if he wins, but it's a dud, and he has to you know take his time, and it's, it's not a, a very compelling fight, he's not going to get that opportunity. 205 has reverted to a time before John Jones. Before John Jones, if you're old enough to remember, that title was a revolving door. Revolving door. It was, you know, getting one title defense was a big deal back in those days. Big deal. So I think this is kind of what we're, we're, we're reverting back to. What we're reverting, what we're reverting back to is um, kind of this, this, this turnaround of, you know, these guys just aren't a level better than anybody else. It's, it's, it could be anyone's title on any given day. And I think Anthony Smith having a good understanding of his chances – Meaning he can win, but he's got to, it's got to be exciting. I think him having a good understanding of that is is good for him. It is. What does he have that other other contenders don't? Number one, he has exciting fights. Now, Young Blavich does too. Alexander Rakic generally does. He connects with the American audience. The guy's from Nebraska. Okay, so he has that for sure. He hasn't been there before. Meaning he got a title opportunity against John Jones. And let's not forget, he took an illegal knee, could have taken a disqualification and been champion, and refused to do it. That is, I think that earned him, um, to a lot of people, um, a, 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 I think it earned him a, the, the, the respect of a lot of fans. And the fact that he didn't win it and didn't become champion, fine. But when you look at Jan Blahovic and you look at Glover Teixeira, these are fighters who had their run as champion. And I think it always helps when you look at it, when you, when you get somebody who hasn't been there before. So those are the advantages, I think, of Anthony Smith, is that he hasn't been there before, he hasn't been champion, always has an exciting style, and he's from the right country and connect with the audience. I think that is very, very important. But... Anthony is also one of those guys. Kelly, I'm going to bring you in here because you obviously big fan of Anthony Smith. He gets he always talks about exciting fights. He always it seems to be on his mind a lot how exciting he is as a fighter and entertaining the fans. That is something usually a title contender or people that that fight for titles they worry less about. Anthony really does seem to con- be concerned about being exciting. Now that gets him a lot of opportunities. That's part of that's one of the reasons fans absolutely love him. 
but it's also when he could maybe slow a fight down, when he could take the advantage away from somebody and kill minutes when he's, he's winning around or something like that, he doesn't do that. Now, do you think that's a good or a bad thing when you're looking for a title like he is as a fan? I don't think he's necessarily concerned with being exciting. He just has a past history of having exciting fights, and I think his mindset is just foot on the gas all the time kind of guy. Um, I think he knows here a boring win, a decision win, may not get him a title shot, which I think is why he's specifying that he thinks he needs it to be exciting in order to get that title shot. I think that's why he's talking about it, because title shot is looming. I wouldn't say he's concerned with being exciting. At the end of the day, a win's a win, but when you have a title hanging over your head, you have to be exciting when there's already somebody else that could slot in for you. I think that is generally, generally speaking, a good way to be. I do think, you know, generally speaking, as you're saying, a win's a win. Um, uh, if he gets back past Uncle Iof, he's in a good spot. He's certainly on the short list, let's put it that way. The worst that could happen for him, aside from a loss, let's say he wins, and let's say Uncle Iof, the way Uncle Iof fights, like he can make a fight boring. He's very, very good at that. Even if Ankalaev makes it boring, what, he's one away? Right? He might have to go through Anthony Rakic. He might have to go through Jan Blahovic. He might have to go through a Glover Teixeira. But even if he, if, even if he, if, if he wins and it's not super exciting, what, he's one away? He just has a lot of advantages at 205. What, did I mispronounce Anthony Rakic? Alexander Rakic. You've called him Anthony oh, Rakic. Oh, Alexander Rakic. I like, Alex, yeah, I right. like Alexander how you Rakic. tried to be sarcastic while making the same mistake again. Oh, I mispronounced. Okay, because I thought I pronounced Rakic. So I'm like, no, I'm saying Rakic right. Alexander Rakic. I am sorry. Do you know I love Not that? Anthony Seriously, Jimmy, I was going like, to play it back with sarcasm. Like, oh, did I mispronounce Anthony Rakic? <laughs> I, no, I was literally, did I mispronounce Anthony Rakic? I was like, it's Rakic, right? Um, Alexander Rakic. There you go. So... Um, when it comes to Alexander Rakic, a guy who has already beaten uh, Anthony Smith, when it comes to Glover Teixeira, a guy who has already beaten him, those are really tough fights. And not just because they've already beaten Anthony and all these things. It's stylistically they're very, very tough fights. Those are very hard hitters. They're very, very big for the weight class. It's easy to forget that Anthony Smith had a whole career at middleweight. Up and down, wasn't as good at middleweight as he was at light heavyweight. But he moved up, and those bigger guys who can manhandle him, who can throw him around a little bit, who hit very, very hard. It was one hard shot, if people forget, uh, against Glover Teixeira that kind of turned things around, and Anthony wasn't able to get it back. So those are very tough rematches. So when I look at it, the the, the toughest thing for him is, other than obviously a loss, nobody wants to see that, um, is if he gets a win but it isn't, particularly entertaining, and he's one away. The road there is very, very hard. Two of them have already beaten him. Jan Blahovic is a very big light heavyweight, extremely skilled. It's a tough road past that. So as nervous as Kelly might be about this weekend in this fight, this is the most winnable, not that he can't win the other ones, but this is the most winnable in that top five, top six that's available, would be... Uh, Magomed Ankalaev, Alexander Rakic, uh, Jan Blahovic, uh, any of those guys are going to be a lot tougher. This is the best way for Anthony Smith. So hopefully he gets the big win and, and, and does it. Should Anthony Smith get a title shot with the win? Should he? Will he? They're two different questions. But what's it going to take for Anthony Smith this weekend? Against a guy with an awkward style? Against a guy who can be grappling first? 
against a guy who has won three decisions in a row, hasn't shown any necessary necessarily any any uh, difficulty about going the distance, doesn't care about necessarily entertaining anybody. Ankalaev, I think, at least two fights away. At least. I think even if he beats Anthony, even if he beats Anthony, it's a one-sided fight. Unless it's a big highlight reel knockout, he probably has to go through one more. When it's Alexander Rakic, when it's Jan Blahovic, uh, Yidi Prohachka, and Magomed Ankalaev, those are not names that get the... In, I'll throw Glover Teixeira in there. Glover Teixeira is probably the best of them. Those are not names that get the your average UFC fan excited. They're not. Anthony Smith has that advantage. So um, I believe Ankalaev, should he win, it's not somebody the UFC is going to get behind immediately. Glover Teixeira, I think, is the most marketable of the bunch of that group outside Anthony Smith. So I think if Magomed Ankalaev wins, I think it's going to be probably a rematch between, obviously, the champion, Prohachka, and, and Glover Teixeira. I think Jan Blahovic is, is the odd man out because they had such a great fight the first time around. And if somebody can empathize and get behind anybody, it's going to be Glover Teixeira in the United States. So I think we see a rematch of that fight if Uncle Av wins. If Anthony Smith wins and it's big and it's brutal, I think he's next in line. But he's just he, he's in a good spot. He's also doing work for the UFC. He's an analyst for them. They like having him on air. And we can talk all day about the ethics of that relationship. We've talked about it many, many times. Where fighters who are currently active, who are doing work for the UFC, you got to wonder you know, if they're going to get more opportunities because they're already on air. Maybe. But Anthony Smith is in that position. And in a 205-pound division where there's no standalone great champion like there was in the John Jones era, that might be enough. Busted Open is your daily home for all things pro wrestling. Join Dave LaGreca, WWE Hall of Famers, Bully Ray and Mark Henry, and hardcore wrestling legend Tommy Dreamer. Dave LaGreca here. From WWE to AEW, Impact, New Japan, Ring of Honor, and more, we talk it all. Whether you grew up watching Ric Flair or Stone Cold Steve Austin, Busted Open is your place for pro wrestling. Busted Open, Mondays through Saturdays at 9 a.m. East on Fight Nation, Sirius XM Channel 156. It's good to see the people that are good to this show being recognized. And one of those is Aaron Bronstetter from TSN Sports. He's up for MMA Journalist of the Year on the the World MMA Awards. Uh, be sure to throw him a vote, especially because he's on my show and he's always great. Aaron, what is up, my man? Hey, thanks for having me, Jimmy. Yeah, you know, throw one vote, you know, and if you happen to make some other accounts under other you know fraudulent names, I, I would right. not recommend voting for him. That would be unethical. Right, that would be horrible, horrible if KOB yeah, no, voted, voted for you. Don't do and, that. Right, and, and Mike Russo voted for you, and Kelly Kell voted for you, and Anthony Smith Man four hundred two voted for you. All, yeah, that would be unbelievable, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? Anyway, I don't condone. Can, I don't condone that at all. <laughs> anyway, congratulations. So. Uh, I want to start off talking about you were at the Association of Boxing Commissioners annual conference um, when they were talking about refereeing and, and, and new rules and all these things. Um, the one that I want to talk about that I brought up a little bit yesterday on the show is grounded fighter. Your fingers have to be weight bearing for you to be a grounded fighter. I could not believe that they were trying to do that. Uh, it just sounds like another judgment call that is going to go horribly wrong during an actual fight. Uh, what were your thoughts on that whole experience and that rule in general? 
Well, that's kind of already actually the rule. What they want to do is they want to, to make it uh, across commissions. Um, right now, in Vegas, fingertips make you a grounded opponent. But in other jurisdictions, you have to have your entire palm or fist onto the ground in order to be uh, considered a uh, grounded opponent. So what they're, I think, trying to do is streamline it, but it doesn't seem like it's very popular uh, because, like you said, I think the reason why they want to make it, um, you know, why they want to streamline it is because judges have to make these d- determinations on the fly. So if somebody's got fingertips down, like, let's say you were watching, Jimmy, let's say you were watching right. uh, a UFC event and you see somebody get kneed in the head and their fingertips are on the ground. You and pretty much everybody else that's watching at home believes that to be an illegal strike. But in certain jurisdictions, in certain uh, states, it's not. It's not a foul. If you, if you have your fingertips on the ground and you get hit in, in the head, you're not considered a downed opponent in certain places. So I think what they're trying to do, actually, is make it so that the fingertips would be the standard, so to speak. Because it's, it's very confusing. It's confusing for the refs. It's confusing for the fighters, the coaches, everybody. Right? Because in certain places, you can, in fact, have your, uh, your fingers on the ground, your fingertips on the ground, and you're not considered to be a grounded opponent. It's very strange. I learned that this yeah, weekend. But- the, the, way it was, the way it was worded, the, the, what they're trying to do, the way it was worded, the one that I read yesterday, is uh, the, it used to be palm on the ground was what they wanted. Now it's as long as the fingertips are weight-bearing, meaning you can't just put your fingertips on the ground to avoid a knee. Your, 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 the weight a- actually has to be on the fingertips, which to have a referee make that call in real time is virtually impossible. And it, it, it just seems yeah. so absurd to me. And as you said, the idea that it's not standard and they have to say before every fight this is the unified rules or this isn't the unified rules is a little strange. I understand trying to unify things, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, I, you know, this is actually nothing that they're voting on now. They're going to vote on it at the next annual conference right. in a year. So I think they're kind of planting the seed. But I, I would be surprised if it passes, to be honest. I think you're on the right page here, Jimmy, that, you're already making it very difficult for the refs to do their job, and now you're adding another layer to it. It's just, I think it's honestly very confusing. Um, I think that they need to just figure out, like, personally, I don't like people playing the up and down game with the hands. I I think that if you're a referee, that's something you should warn the fighters about, because I think that that is something that uh, they, they need to crack down on personally. Um, speaking, of course, to Aaron Bronstetter from TSN Sports. On the judging side of it, it's it's. I've heard every possible, um, th- every suggestion about how to make judging better. And one of the things I just tell a lot of people is, hey, we're the only major sport with a subjective scoring system. We're the only major. It just is what it is. We have human beings deciding who won a round, what a significant strike is, what is more damage, what is less damage, what is aggression. Those are all subjective things. And other than, I think, I think it's, we should have open scoring for sure. But other than the human element, do you think that there are any changes that could be made? I, like I said, I like open scoring. When people go, oh, we shouldn't have the boxing system. We should have this. We should have that. Look, as long as you have human beings judging it, we're going to have problems. What changes would you see made, man? Well, the one that I prefer is the half-point system. I, I think that, like you mentioned, taking a boxing system and putting it into three rounds, I think leaves a lot of room for unrightful winners, so to speak. Like, you got somebody who, who gets, you know, a very, very clear 10-9 in one round, maybe even scores a knockdown, it, it, you know, a very clear, decisive round. And then you got two rounds that are like, you know, very, very close. I think that if you have a fighter that's winning a fight based on two very close rounds, 
after they get dominated in any of the other, three, you know, any of the other three rounds or two rounds rather. I, I just to me that doesn't sit well with me. It doesn't sit well with a lot of the fans that that watch the sport. The reason, if you want me to explain a half point system, basically it's like you take a really close round, you score that ten to nine and a half either way. If it's a pretty decisive round, ten to nine. If it's a decisive round, maybe with a knockdown or, or a really significant moment, ten to eight and a half, and then down from there based on on just how much damage is accrued over the course of a single round. I just think you're going to get a lot less room for for error in terms of rightful winners if you're scoring fights in that nature. You know what's very interesting? Whenever I think about that, I think about Dominic Cruz versus Uriah Faber, their first rematch, which was their first fight in the UFC. Um, the, the score was really lopsided, but the rounds were really close. And I remember at the end of the fight going, I gave Dominic Cruz, I think every round, or at least four out of five rounds, but they were really close rounds. When they read the scores, they were really lopsided, but it wasn't a lopsided fight, which was very, very interesting. I said, I thought Dominic Cruz won every round, barely. And yet it was ended up being kind of a wipeout. And does that disparity bother you, where it's a close fight, but the, the, the score is, is, is decisive one way or the other? Does that bother you? I mean, it doesn't necessarily bother me, but I hear what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, and I actually remember that fight exactly as an example of what you just said, where yeah. all five rounds were, like, extremely close, and Dominic won by basically the slimmest of margins. And then people look at it, and they're like, oh, the fight was way closer than that. I think that you, you should have given Uriah this round and that round. But, no, you don't shouldn't. There's no should have. That isn't you, you how it works, round, yeah. You hand in the scorecard, and that's it. You forget about it. You, you're on to the next round. You, you, the judges don't even keep a mental tally in their mind of who's up on the scorecard. They judge it round by round. They hand in their scorecard. The scorecard is never seen again until the, uh, the commission tallies the scores. And then, of course, it's made public at some point in time. But it's completely out of the judge's mind at that point in time. So I, I see what you're saying there. And, again, I think that's why half-point rounds, let's say in the, in the fifth round, Uriah Faber has a 10-8 round. He can still have a chance of winning that fight at the other rounds are 10 to 9.5 rounds, right? So I, I think that uh, it, it really would emphasize the amount of damage that's done in a, in a specific round and uh, not, not have fighters coast. Um, another thing that w- was brought up at that meeting, as you said, it- it's voted on next year, but there was a lot of talk about from Andy Foster and Mike Mazzulli about uh, referees, judges on social media. Now, they don't want them on social media, and Andy Foster even went so far as to say, yeah, you're allowed to say whatever you want on social media, but I'm not going to use you again as a judge or use you again as a referee if you're engaging with fans in that way. Part of the issue, I, I, I see what they're saying and that it's a very toxic place. We don't want our referees and our judges going back and forth with fans about scorecards and all that stuff. We don't want that happening. But another issue with when it comes to judging, as you said, they file the scorecard and we never hear or talk about it ever again. It disappears. That there isn't much accountability when it comes to judges. Judges don't often explain why they saw rounds in a certain way. What's your thought about all this vis-a-vis social media interactions with fans. Is it good in that they're arguing less, or is it bad in that there's even less accountability because they're not interacting with fans? What do you think? It's already actually in the Code of Conduct. If you, if you yeah. go to the ABC's website, you can read the official Code of Conduct, and it says to refrain from you know, politics and uh, you know, really speaking, speaking to people on social media, answering, responding to people on social media. I kind of agree with that. I mean, I think that you're in a role where you're supposed to be extremely nonpartisan in all facets right so like if you're out there you know everybody has their political beliefs but if you're out there posting you know let's say pro right wing or pro left wing uh stuff on social media and then there's a fighter that has that same kind of you know the fighters are kind of allowed to say what they what they want from the ufc for the most part um and there's somebody that uh 
you know, jives politically with another judge, it can, it can just give the, the sense of, of bias. And I think that right. if you're a judge, that, that's exactly what you need to stay away from, is anything that could give somebody the idea that you have some sort of, uh, some sort of bias uh, in, in anybody's direction. In fact, you know, we're, we're in Texas. I'm in Dallas, Texas right now, trying desperately not to get burned to death by this hot sun. But um, yes. back when the UFC was in Houston, it was a John Jones and Reyes card. I'm bad with the numbers, but uh, John Jones right. versus Reyes in February of 2020, right before the pandemic. Um, there was a judge on that card named Joe Solis. This is an article that I actually wrote for TSN. Um, and he, he had a lot of really suspicious scorecards. They're like scorecards that didn't make a lot of sense that night. And, I, you know, I did a little bit of digging, and I found on his Facebook page that the person that had awarded him a black belt was the coach I, for Trevin Giles. I remember that. And he gave, yes. Yeah, and he gave Trevin Giles a 10-9 first round where James Krause had his back for four and a half minutes and was going for submissions for the entire round. So because of, of him kind of putting in a scorecard that I thought, you know, was kind of suspect, that led me to do some digging, and I found, found, was able to find pictures of him with Trevin Giles' as coach. Uh, on social media. And, and first off, a judge should never really even have that conflict of interest. They should be disclosing it to the commission immediately, and that's in the code of conduct as well. But because he was reckless on social media, it, it makes the entire Texas State Commission look terrible, in my opinion. Because the Texas State Commission should be on top of this kind of stuff. Um, so I think that's one of the reasons, you know, uh, um, I guess an empirical evidence uh, rationale for why they shouldn't be on social media writing all kinds of stuff, or posting pictures of fighters, etc., Understandable. Speaking, of course, uh, to Aaron Bronstetter from TSN Sports, let's just shift gears just a little bit to this weekend's card, UFC 277. Amanda Nunes versus Juliana Pena. Right now, even though Juliana Pena won the last fight, she is a 3-1 to one underdog, depending on your book. Um, of course, it was, what, a 10-1 last time out, but this time 3-1. to one. Um, Do you think this fight is more a referendum on Juliana Pena as a fighter or the preparation last time out of Amanda Nunes? It seems like that's the, the big storyline is Amanda Nunes leaving her team and was she ready, was she hurt, all this stuff, rather than Juliana Pena might be the future at 135. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think everything falls on Amanda Nunes here. Uh, she needs to prove that that was an anomaly that uh, that one night does not define her career. Because if Juliana Pena wins, I think that a lot of people are going to say that perhaps Amanda Nunes isn't the greatest of all time. Maybe she wasn't the greatest of all time. It's going to be, like you said, a referendum on her entire career. This is a, a, a must-win for Amanda Nunes in that sense, in terms of legacy, in my opinion. And having spoken to her yesterday, uh, she seems like she's in a really good place. She very, was very outgoing. She looks like she's in tremendous shape. Like I don't think she's going to have any issues making the weight. Um, and, I, you know, I just think that when you look at this particular fight, history is not on her side. I put a, a, I did a piece for Sports Center today that talks about immediate rematches and champions that lose the belt and get an immediate rematch to try to win it back are two in ten historically. Figueredo did it earlier this year. Yeah. Before that, it was 17 years prior before that happened, uh, you know, uh, previous to Figueredo, which is a staggering number. So history is not really on the side of those who dropped the belt and tried to win it back right away. So Amanda Nunes is, while she has the odds on her, her side in Las Vegas and in, in the sports betting world, she does not have the odds on her side historically. Uh, so I think that's what's going to be really interesting to see this time around because to have two fighters do it in the same year, I think, is pretty, uh, pretty incredible given that it's been a 17-year uh, time that's elapsed since the last time a champion has lost their belt and then immediately regained it in their next fight. 
Uh, very, very interesting. Let's look at the, the co-main event as well. Kai Car France, of course, uh, taking on Brandon Moreno for an interim belt at 125. When I went back and studied their first fight, a couple things I had forgotten is, A, how close that fight was. It was very, very close. Really a coin flip. It wouldn't have surprised me if it had gone Kai Car France's way. And an incredibly entertaining fight, but the bookmakers very much behind Brandon Moreno. What, do you, what are your thoughts on this fight? Yeah, the odds makers are on the side of Moreno. And, uh, I mean, I can yeah. understand that he's been the champion since their, their last fight. But like you mentioned, very close fight. It was the, actually the first fight of the night, which is mind-boggling at the time. No and one was there, dude. I remember. Them. Yeah, nobody was there. <laughs> Empty crowd. You think it was during the pandemic at the Apex. But, uh, it, yeah, pretty, uh, pretty solid fight. And I think both of them have improved so much since that fight, which is what makes this so interesting. And you look at Kai Kara France, and uh, statistically, he's got to be one of the better fighters in the flyweight division because – his takedown defense is tremendous, almost 90%. He's got the, the second most uh, knockdowns among active flyweights right now. And uh, I believe he has the second highest striking differential among uh, active flyweights right now, too. So it, it, it's going to be very interesting to see if he's able to keep this on the feet against Moreno. And if he should be, again, based on his stats, this is going to be a very interesting fight. Now, the, the thing for me that's interesting is that Kai Kara France has never gone uh, into the championship rounds, whereas Moreno has that experience. So that, I think, is going to be what ends up being the difference maker in this fight. Uh, when I look at it now, and I'm speaking, of course, to Aaron Bronstad at TSN Sports, what we just finished talking about was Anthony Smith and his path to a title shot should he beat Magomed Ankalaev. Now, when you list off the names, we have a champ as Yuri Prohachka. You have Jan Blahovic, Glover Teixeira at the top, um, Alexander Rakic in there as well, Magomed Ankalaev. And then Anthony Smith. Now, one of these kids is doing his own thing in terms of nationality. It's an easy sell for Anthony Smith. He's homegrown. He has, as we say in the business, the right passport. Very, very um, articulate. What do you think his odds are of getting a title shot above some of these other names? Should he have a dominant performance this Saturday? What do you think of it? I think it's a pretty simple solution. Just have the winner of the fight fight uh, Blahovic. I mean, Blahovic beat yeah. Rakic yeah. due to an injury stoppage. And, and while that still counts as a win... Is anybody really impressed by the way that he won that fight? Like, is, is it one of those things where, like, yes, he's definitely the next guy in line after uh, the, you know, supposed, you know, the rematch that they're looking at doing. And I think it was one and one in that third round, if I remember correctly. It was, it was very, very right, close. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah Rakic had a great second round. And it was a really close fight. Um, and then, of course, he gets injured. So I think if, if you're Jan Blahovic and you're the UFC, you say to Blahovic, listen, that was a good win, but, I mean, there's still a little bit uh, left hanging in the balance there like we don't really know exactly how that would have gone had um the fight continued it didn't look like it was going in your direction so if you really want to cement yourself as the number one contender fight the winner of Ankalaev and smith i think that's the right way to do it he's not just an mma journalist he's not just up for mma journalist of the year at the world mma awards he's a great matchmaker aaron bronstetter thank you so much for joining us my man and all congratulations to you uh on this this nomination man hope you win it it's always great talking to you hey thanks a lot jimmy yeah it's worldmmaawards.com if you want to vote uh appreciate your support and uh, i always appreciate you having me on the show everybody We'll definitely check it out. Also, he has his own podcast. That's right. Uh, Wave.link, TSN MMA Show. That's where you can check him out. Aaron Bronstetter, ladies and gentlemen. Great voice in MMA. Unlocking the Cage with Jimmy Smith is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Michael Russo. The associate producer is Kelly Murphy. Sound design by Nuri Balin. 
Special thanks to SiriusXM's Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen, and SiriusXM Fight Nation Program Director, Marissa Rivas. Series XM Podcasts.